And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Another week, another busy week. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. We are live from the bunker. Welcome to everyone. Uh, I am sitting behind the microphone number three here at World Headquarters in the studio. Uh, Glad to have you with us. The chat's open. The comments are open. Email address if you want to be a part of that. Uh, leave your thoughts that way. It's live from the bunker at sci fi for me.com. And today we're going to talk money, 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 money. Like we normally do once a month. Now, I have been uh, out. The last, uh, the last couple of times that we've done this has not been on the Monday, uh, the first Monday of the month like we had talked about doing, but uh, that's on me. So, uh, <laughs> so, so now we're going to try to get back to our regular schedule, but who knows what's going to happen uh, anyway. Matthew Stevens and Dan Danford join us uh, as they always do. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Glad to be here. So, uh, as, as we're getting started on all of this, you know, kicking around some ideas and stuff, Dan, you brought to my attention this thing about Robin Hood. So why don't we start there and see what it is that's going on here? Because this is kind of a follow-up to our very first program where I had, where, where we were talking about the, um, the short selling and what was going on with GameStop and, and all of that stuff. So, so take us through where are we at with this, this Robin Hood thing? Because they just had kind of, a, kind of a big deal happen. Several big deals happened. Um, Robin Hood, as you'll remember, is a, um, a trading app uh, that's basically cell phone based. So anybody that has a hundred or a thousand dollars can open an account with Robinhood and then use their phone to place trades for stocks and options and you know um, ETFs, mutual funds, whatever. Um, a couple of things is that the way that they it's commissionless basically, so that when you when you place a trade, you don't pay a sales commission for doing that, and whether you buy or sell. Um, the, particularly because of the pandemic, the, uh, the whole platform just exploded in popularity. Um, everybody has cell phones. Everybody was working from home. Lots going on in the stock markets and the political world. So people started using their cell phones to trade. And it became enormously popular. And you saw some things like GameStop and others that we talked about a few weeks or a few months back. Uh, where a lot of the activity was actually driven by these people placing trades on their cell phones. Um, And there was some criticism in the early part that they actually encouraged, they they made the the app treated trading almost like a video game. 
So when you placed a trade, so you sold something and it sold at a, at a profit, it would do the little confetti thing on your phone, like you know you just uh, set a world record or something. And so this this gamification kind of caught on. Um, a lot of detractors as well. Uh, a lot of people who love the idea of giving the masses opportunities to trade, but there was also uh, the downside, which is it was less best based on economics and more based on, you know, kind of the fun and the satisfaction and the gambling aspects of the business. Right. Uh, so been enormously successful. They, they had a, an IPO in the last couple of weeks where basically they, they issued uh, their own stock for the first time on NASDAQ. I think the uh, trading symbol is hood, H O O D. And uh, they raised uh quite a bit of money. The stock price jumped up initially and then jumped back down again. Um, because of the success of that, the most recent thing is that a number of the insiders now want to sell their stock or part of their stock, cash in basically on the high stock prices. And, and the SEC has kind of put that on hold for right now. So even though these people have signed up and say, we want to sell a billion dollars worth of our stock in the marketplace, the SEC says, well, hold on a minute. You know, we're going to see how that works out. And that's pending. Right. Okay. So right now that's pending. Well, they that, have had. And that, yeah, that so, also comes on the heels just a month ago that they had to pay yes. uh, a huge fine. Actually, two huge fines. This was to the uh, seventy million to Finra. There was also a sixty million dollar fine to uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission over irregularities. Um, typically, when a brokerage firm uh, allows certain kinds of trading and things like that, there's a lot of disclosure involved, and you know you have to explain how that works and all that. And they felt like they were kind of lacking in how they explained or educated people. And that's what that is. I see. So, and, and, but interestingly, one of their responses, a couple of really big things have happened. But, um, they started hiring people from the SEC and FINRA. So their legal staff now is uh, quite large. I saw that they actually hired a fellow who had been a commissioner for the Securities and Exchange Commission. Okay. His, his time had expired. He is now on the payroll. Their disclosures said that he was set to make $30 million in 2020 on their staff. Um, so that, that is generate, And he's just one of a dozen people who have come over from the regular side. Um, so the other interesting piece of the puzzle, and this is something that's universal in the, in the whole brokerage industry, but it's interesting anyway, is the way they don't charge for commissions is they get paid by firms to place their trades through those firms. Now that may not sound like a bad thing, but they aren't going to necessarily the New York Stock Exchange and placing the trades. They're doing them through private firms that often trade off exchanges, basically. Mm. They're called dark pools. Nothing wrong with that per se, but the issue that the SEC and that critics get concerned about is your customers may not be getting the best price that they could because you're placing the trades directly with somebody else who's paying you a portion of the trading. Fees. Nothing illegal about it. The SEC is looking at it now. They're concerned about it. But that is basically where 
these guys make their money. They, they just, there's no other revenue sources. When you place trades to buy game stock or whatever, they're sending it off to their preferred broker or, or a preferred broker, and that broker is sharing revenue with them. That's where they make their money. Right. Now I'm looking at the stock price here, you know, dropping, this is in a day, this, this chart right here, but you go back and look at the month and like you said, there's the spike and then there's the dip and now it's sitting, you know, just almost, almost at 60. So it's almost, almost doubled its value here in the last, well, since they started offering a June 29th. So we're now what, a, a week out? Mm-hmm. Is this typical of some new IPO that it does this kind of thing? Or is this, has this been impacted by the fines and the, the, the perceived shenanigans going on at Robinhood? Is this, why are they allowed to even offer an IPO when there were so many questions of what they were doing? Well, it's all been disclosed, so the public knows what they're getting into. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was interesting. It came out. I don't know what the official offering price was, but it traded at the first price it traded at for about two days, around 35 And I think that was kind of interesting because I would have expected it to double the first day. But I think the people that were most interested in the stock were not insiders, and they didn't have any. So it took a couple of days for them to get their positions in place. And then they put out the word "time to buy." Yeah, I think there uh, says here's in in this article. I think this is I don't know what QZ Quartz magazine uh, initially priced the stock at thirty eight, um, and then they dropped uh, eight 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 point four percent to thirty four dollars and eighty two cents, and then. You know, it's it's popped back up, but is, is long term are people looking at this funny? Is this a sound investment? What's the general consensus so far? I know we're only been a week out, but Robinhood's got a history here, and given how they were pretty much at the epicenter of what happened with the with the retail trade stuff, with what was going on over at Reddit, with the GameStop and AMC and all of that, how does that impact? future trading do you think i have not looked at their revenues i see they're losing six dollars a share which is not necessarily a bad thing depends on their revenue growth so i it would take a little research but it may it may they may have a bright future but if they're plagued with regulatory issues uh you know that uh, it's hard to get beyond those in this industry yeah uh, Matt's exactly right. Typically, when an IPO comes out, especially one that's really popular with the masses, you know, you'll see wild jumps in the price of the stock, whatever it is. It doesn't it's not? A, I mean, it's not related directly to this company. But there's also quite a bit of academic research that says if you revisit those six months from now, they're typically trading at less than what they were issued at because after that euphoria goes away. You're left with the actual, you know, economic death. Right. And the truth is, for something like this, it really hasn't made a lot of money in the past. It's not, kind of like Amazon does for years. Everybody was buying it based on promise. And the idea here that um, you know, there's 320 million people in the United States, and this is a way that many of those people are going to be able to participate in ways that they haven't. 
past, I think there's a lot of potential in the price. And I think there will be a lot of potential in the price going forward. Matt, do you see any trends coming up on, uh, in on that, this one? It, well, there's no, uh, there's not enough to establish a price trend. I really, it would take a little while to find out what their revenues have been. I don't know how far back they go, but uh, so they, they'd have to. Oh, here's financials. Just a moment. No, I'm sure they their financials have grown dramatically. Well, their uh, numbers are. It's kind of like the cable stuff we've looked at too, which is the number of accounts and stuff has has grown a lot. Yeah. And that's and the, very appealing. It's trading on that number too. Between 2019 and 2020, their total revenue went up about 400 percent, and uh, so their and their gross profit went up dramatically for about the same. So, uh, so you know, if they stop growing, they'll probably make make a lot of money. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, as you as you grow, it's it's hard to make money as you're expanding. So, with right. any industry, yeah, because because so. you're spending money. Now to to get that get that growth and that expansion, so all of that's got to get 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 funneled back into things. But uh, there are a lot of other companies out there that would have the infrastructure to do exactly this. And if yeah. they decide they want to market to these people, I would think it wouldn't cost them that much to get into it. So so there there could be some other people coming in to to take it to do this exact product. Well, and now that uh, Robinhood is officially trading on the New York Stock Exchange, could they be short sold? Oh, sure. Yeah. And and would that would that give them their comeuppance? Uh, well, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, but you have to run it up first. So, like yeah. AMC, I believe, issued uh, seventy-two million shares here recently. So, yeah. So the short sellers didn't hurt them at all. And <laughs> and AMC, but they've they've dropped. I mean, but, they're they're sitting at uh, at thirty-three forty-five. This is a month trend right here, and you see some spikes and dips. But it's, you know, the last six months. You see, here's the here's the the spike. And it's steadily gone down over over the last six months. And this is where we're sitting now. Uh, well, if we want to, oh, no, go ahead. If we, want, if we want to switch the discussion to AMC, keep in mind before the pandemic, their market cap was two hundred and twenty million. Mm -hmm. Today, it's seventeen billion. Wow! So that's uh, so the Reddit uh, group was the best thing that ever happened to them. So it's all relative at this point, then, because the market. How much? How much impact? And this is this is me not knowing how this works. What impact does market cap have on a company's stock? On a on their ability well, to reinvest in, in themselves, expand, grow, any of that? Well, that actually defines their stock price as the market cap. That okay. that is, you take the number of shares times the price. Uh, price of the share that is the market cap so uh the higher the market cap it doesn't really make it easier for you to uh you buy your own shares back but you could issue more shares and pay off your debt hmm. uh, amc did have about six billion in debt and uh, which was multiples of their old market cap so now they could uh, they could issue enough easily issue enough stock to pay that off Possibly, yeah. So, so it helps question, you know, it puts you in a good situation if you're smart. Yeah. Yeah, but the question in the long run will be: 
can they generate enough revenue from those theaters to justify that high stock price? Right. And that, especially now when you have the streaming services and stuff competing, I, mean, mm -hmm. I think that's a giant unknown. I mean, I, I, we'll see. Theater revenues were down 60%. I, I figured they'd be down more. I didn't realize they were all open again, even. But yeah. so I think they'll grow. I mean, I was, I'd be ready. I, I haven't seen any advertisements for theaters in particular. You see some films have opened, but I didn't. Right. I didn't realize that all the theaters were back open. Most of them. Well, and that them that dovetails to the other discussion, you know, because you look at the lawsuit that Scarlett Johansson just brought against the Walt Disney Company, and it's all based around the distribution model and how it impacts her fees, you know, how much money she makes in profit participation and bonuses and all of that. And they're basically making out to say, you know, Bob, Bob Chapek, who's CEO of, of Walt Disney company. He came from parks. He's not a talent oriented guy. He doesn't know anything about producing television or, or film. And his bottom line is the the dividends for the shareholders, and it doesn't have anything to do with you know making the talent happy, uh, either either the actors or the filmmakers or people people on either side of the camera. And they say that that with his focus being all on Disney Plus, that's going to negatively impact a lot of these things. There are a lot of people that are not that are not happy about. Disney's decision to do day and date, but not just Disney. It's, you know, Warner Brothers has, has done the same kind of thing and has caught flack for doing that. And I hadn't even thought, until until Johansson's lawsuit, I hadn't even thought about what kind of impact it would have on residuals and bonuses and that kind of thing. Because, you, you know, those items in the contracts are generally not disclosed to the public. But it makes sense, you know, you certain... You have certain box office benchmarks. It does X amount of dollars. I get X amount of money. And for Disney to put it in two different places to impact the box office, they're basically saying that the Disney, the Walt Disney Company has sabotaged pretty much every contract because of their, their what they're deciding to do with their distribution model. And, and we're hearing that Emma Stone might be next in, in suing over uh, Cruella. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of surprised this lawsuit wasn't brought before. I, I'm surprised it hadn't been addressed long ago. Yeah. Uh, then, but they might post a film like The Black Widow online and to increase the number of subscribers. How do you define how much that was worth? It's worth something, right? But if you charge twenty bucks for everybody that views it, that's pretty easy to define. I'm well, very surprised that wasn't previously addressed. Well, and the theater owners are sitting there saying Disney's left money on the table by by doing it both ways at the same time because you know the the usual theatrical window is somewhere around sixty to seventy five days, and then it goes to other other distribution channels, whether it's streaming or home video or or network or whatever. And now that model has pretty much been blown out of the water. And nobody yeah. knows what's going to happen next. But, you know, lines are being drawn in the sand and people are t taking sides on this. And not too many people are coming out in support of Disney. No, no, I think they're going to have to they're going to have to be paying these stars something. I don't know how ret how they'll deal with it retroactively. But going forward. I think it's well, that's the 
that's the tough part of the lawsuit too is you know she claims in her lawsuit that she's going to lose 50 million dollars in revenue because of their decision that that is what she said yeah well you know that's hypothetical you know uh, yeah. 50 million is hypothetical it uh-huh, could be yeah. it could be quite a bit less than that so that that's that's where the lawsuit is going to go ultimately is trying to figure out what that number is mm-hmm. but I, I do think it's you know, it's, it's, it's worth noting. It's kind of like the music business where, you know, I've spent a lot of time reading and studying and enjoying the music business. And, you know, the royalty rate for something that is streaming is way less than the royalty rate if you sell an album. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and I'm sure these people aren't stupid. The Disney people aren't stupid. Jo- uh, Scarlett Johansson's people aren't stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they drew contracts based on the environment at that time. Yeah. What's happened is the environment is shifting, and I'm sure they both feel justified in their view. Yeah, they probably It'll wrote. I mean, absolutely. It's it's not an accident. I mean, they, they're very purposeful in how they write this stuff. The question is, how much has the how much has the situation shifted right. since those contracts were written? Well, in, in the... Yeah, and in the news coverage, you've got a couple of things that have come out recently. Is and 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 Matt, this kind of goes back to your original point about you know why hasn't this kind of thing happened sooner? Well, Johansson is a high enough profile performer that she can get away with something like this. Plus, the fact that her character is done, she's finished, so now she can afford to burn this bridge. Rather than, you know, right in the middle of, you know, Iron Man 3, Avengers or whatnot, her character's dead. And so she's got no, she's got no future unless it's like a cameo or an alternate universe type of thing. And then they can have somebody else play her. But that combined with this, this idea, the, the lawyers have come out and said, you know, well, it was all written. It was clear as a bell and all of this. But Johansson's, you know, Johansson's lawyers said... We never got notification from Disney in order to renegotiate how all of this was going to play out. And the Disney lawyers are sitting there going, well, yeah, we we said this is what's going to happen. And so now you've got this he said, she said thing going on. And I guess depending on who keeps the better records on the correspondence back and forth, because Johansson's le- uh, lawyers have said here, we've got all of these documents and emails and nothing's, nothing's ever been said about how we're going to renegotiate this thing. So that, I mean, Disney's taken a big PR hit over that, but not just that, because then you look at this, um, child trafficking sting that picked up what, 30 or 35 employees of one of the Disney parks in Florida. And I'm like it, all of that in the same week. And then you have, I know I'm like, Oh, that's, that's not going to be good. Well, and, and then there's the article that Bob Chapek is, is chafing as CEO because Bob Iger won't leave. And there's, you know, Kevin Feige over at Marvel is angry about how Disney has been handling this whole lawsuit from from Johansson's people. And you've got Bob Iger and Bob Chapek are are basically at odds with each other now. And Chapek's sitting there going, I'm the CEO. I should be the boss. I'm the one supposed to be in charge. Let me do my job. 
And nobody's happy with what he's doing with his job because he's restructuring everything. And then he's now come out and said, our, our executive contracts are now going to be different to make it easier for me to fire people. And people are not happy about that. I don't, I don't okay. know. I don't know that Disney is going to come out ahead on this. <laughs> Here's, I don't know much. Uh, is that, I don't know if it's really going to be a significant amount of money to pay every star an extra 10 or 20 million, every, every big star on a big blockbuster, if it's really going to be a factor, but you know, it's uh, going to be a point to discuss every time. Yeah. I mean, if you have, if your movie's a failure, it won't matter. <laughs> You won't have to pay them, I don't think. Well, and the question yeah. now becomes, how much does the streaming side of things affect the 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 theatrical box office? Because you're looking at theatrical box office, you know, like the Suicide Squad, for for example. It's considered, yeah, everybody likes it. It's getting good press. But the box office, it's, it, it's not doing very well in the box office theatrically because, of course, it's on HBO Max. And so what do you now consider a flop? Is it if it's a success on the streaming service at $30 a pop, but it doesn't do well at the box office, is it still a flop? Because $30 streaming it's you're not going to reach as many people audience-wise with the streaming service as you would with a worldwide theatrical distribution model. Well, I don't the, know. The of, yeah, the thing about contracts that's interesting, of course, is that, you know, Scarlett Johansson used to be that, that stars were paid set amounts of money and, and, you know, they never got a shot at the profits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the yeah. profits was the province of the studio and, and the production team. Right. There is no net. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, there's no net. Yeah. Never any net. And, and, but so what happens is, is that a, Scarlett Johansson, at least in the last 10 years or whatever, she might negotiate a smaller upfront salary in exchange for getting these royalties and commissions um, down the road. In other words, they participate if it becomes very profitable. Right. They're called points. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, when you change the structure so that that's not as profitable or it just changes the structure of the business. It's exactly the same thing in the music business. I mean, it just is. Um, and I heard a great thing. I'm a Steely Dan fan. But I heard a great uh, discussion by uh, um, Donald Fagan, and he was he was lamenting the fact that even with all their faith, you know, all the great songs and the great catalog they have and everything, he just doesn't get much loyalty income anymore. Yeah. And the bottom line is, you know, they have to sell an album for him to get loyalty. Or somebody else has to record his music. That's where he gets, you know, effect. Well, he says our music was so complicated, nobody covered it. And <laughs> nobody plays our music. So I, he said, and you know, it, it's just interesting because that has a lot to do with the movies and stuff too. I, I read a great story, it's probably been 15 years ago now, but it made the argument that the greatest star in uh, Hollywood at that time was Adam Sandler. You know, it was just such a hilarious notion because uh, Adam Sandler is such a goof. Uh-huh, but they yeah. said, if you look at box office, yeah. he has such a tremendous following. There's nobody even comes close to the money. He's made. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's, well, it's, it's it, that old thing between 
quality and quantity. You know? Yeah. Well, and the other thing too, I mean, Eastland, uh, uh, the chat makes a good point. Beyond beyond what we've talked about here, what we've caught, viewers have lost their fear of missing out. There's this lack of urgency. We don't feel like we have to go see it opening weekend. We've got to go to the theater. And good point. Part of that, I wonder how much of that is, and I got to be very careful how I how I say this because I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist. But I wonder how much of that is driven by the fear and paranoia that has been sold to us by the media. You know, this this idea of don't get out, you're going to die, that we have had over the last you know, year and a half now with the pandemic and the lockdown and all of this. I mean, the economic hit that the, that the world has taken, but the, the United States has been affected pretty badly by this, is that nobody is able to get out and conduct business in the normal fashion. And, you know, now with Delta variant and Lambda variant and whatever next Greek alphabet letter they want to they pick and choose, we're going to cycle through probably all 23 of them. And you can't get out. And if you dare to get out, how dare you get out and try to kill people with your disease that you're spreading because you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not considerate of others. So, you know, I, I've even experienced this myself where I sit there and think, oh, yeah, Black Widow's out. I don't feel like I want to go see it. You know, I just don't want to deal with the hassle of all of the rigmarole of even walking into a building. And that's got to hurt everybody's yeah. business, not just the movie theaters. Yeah. Yeah. Change the business model for everything. It's the same oh, yeah. thing. With, it's the yeah. same thing you see with commercial real estate. I mean, you know, you just look at look at in Kansas City the notion that Cerner selling those two buildings over in Wyandotte County is just yeah. unbelievable. I mean, yeah. ten years ago they built them because they were the best thing in the world. What they found out is a lot of people work from home, and that's a whole lot less expensive. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, the it'll change public schools. I mean, yeah. Shouldn't change it forever. Well, and, right. and you know, if I work from home, I don't have to go get a shot because you tell me I have to get a shot. You know, yeah. there's there's that factor in as well. You know, you've got a number of these places, and you know, not to get too deep in the weeds on this, but you've got people that are calling out those who have not gotten any kind of a vaccination, saying uh, yeah. it's your fault that we're still in this mess. Oh yes, and you know, it, there's that part of it too. Is like, well, I just, I'm, I'm just not going to get out and deal with people because people are being stupid right now, and yeah. we're, we're 1930s Germany all over again. Yeah, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of correlation between those that have are getting sick and have or have not been vaccinated. Mm -hmm. I almost think there's no between this new variant. They say 74 percent of the people that get it have been vaccinated. Well, that's probably about the number that are going to show up show up at the hospital yeah. for the random population. Not everybody ends up in the hospital or gets diagnosed when they get anything. But. Well, I read somewhere and and to you know put a put a financial spin on this. I I read the other day uh, that there are nine new billionaires in the world, and they're all in pharmaceuticals. Yeah, funny how well, that works. Uh, 
Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Well, the way to make a billion dollars, I don't care whether it's pharmaceutical or whether it's an Amazon, is to find a way to make a, a nickel piece off of seven billion people. Mm-hmm. You know, the broader your distribution, the, the more apt you are to do it. And it's just like, you know, I, I listen to a certain amount of feedback on Jeff Bezos, you know, how many billions of dollars he's made during the pandemic, and people don't like that. But what they don't understand is he's not doing something to make that. What, what, why he's making that is because most of his wealth is tied to the value of the stock. Oh, yeah. The stock has become more more valuable due to the fact that people don't want to get out and go to stores. Yeah. I mean, that's what it boils down to. It wasn't anything he did. Yeah. It's just that he had the distribution channel set up. Yeah. He's not making that hundred millions of dollars a year. I mean, if he tried to cash in on it, he could cash in on a pretty good chunk of it, but he couldn't cash yeah. in on all of it. So. Right. No. And, well, and that's true of all of it. So. And and the question here uh, about uh, the the movie industry in particular doing the whole you know because over the last now ten years or so probably a little bit further back than that you had the the summer blockbuster movies you know and we've talked a little bit about this on on a number of of shows where my theory has been that this was a good opportunity for studios to make smaller pictures that didn't cost as much money to to leverage their their profit margins and it doesn't seem like they're doing that they're they're going ahead and and doing the big movies and of course a lot of this stuff was still in the pipeline you know it was in the pipeline before the model changed but you've got these 200 million dollar movies 250 million 300 million and we're going to put them on streaming services at you know thirty dollars a piece per head, or per, per household rather. And how many people in the household? You know that's that's four or five tickets that you're not selling in the box office. Yeah. And you know it's the the distribution is there, but they're not going to be making as much money in the streaming side of things because one you've got penetration questions where are the streaming services available because hbo max is not worldwide uh yeah um, um paramount plus is not worldwide yet disney plus has probably got a, a, an advantage over most of them i think netflix is the only one that's bigger at this point in terms of where it's available everybody else is playing catch up so if you've got a million subscribers, you've got four and a half million subscribers, not all of them are going to be watching the movie. And if you've got households of three or four different people on there, it's like the theater owners were talking about, you're, you're throwing money away. I don't know what the split on that is. With the box office split, uh, the, the producers get half, theater owners get the other half. So I don't know what it is on a streaming service. They may get 100% of it. Do you know? Like on, yeah, I don't know how it works either, but you know, like on yeah, music royalty, you know, many of us uh, listen to streaming either through Pandora or, or maybe through Alexa or whatever. Yeah. You know, artists don't get royalties. It's a United States law, basically, on radio play. So they don't get any royalties on that. It's the same with the streaming service. If the streaming service puts that music on there, there's no royalty on it. 
But if you tell Alexa, hey, play my favorite song, okay, now that's a different thing. Now there is royalty income off of that. So most of us that just go and say, hey, you know, Alexa, playlist this. Right. Most of that, there's no royalty income. If you're not touring now, I don't think you make money as a musician. I think that's probably true. Unless you're, the other thing is, if you're a writer and other people are make, are are recording your writing, you right. can make some money. No, Dolly not. Parton it was kind of a flippant comment, but she says that uh, that she got rich. Whitney Houston made her rich with "I Will Always Love You." I can believe it. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, that's and cool. and and that raises an interesting point because I'd heard somewhere, and I can't remember where, but somebody had made the comparison all of this streaming stuff to Napster, and the the impact that Napster and some of those companies in the early days had on the music industry in general that it's taken some, what, 10, 15 years for the music industry to recover economically, financially from what happened with Napster? Are we looking at maybe 10 or 15 years before the film industry recovers from whatever impact the streaming services are going to have? I don't know that the music industry really has recovered. I mean, you don't see huge record release releases anymore or tours and it's just not the same. It's not yeah. the same as it was. Uh-huh. Yeah, the record companies don't have a seem to have. They don't seem to have the lifestyle. The record producers don't seem to have the big party lifestyles they once did. I mean, that's that's probably good, but a Sco- little longer. Scooter might. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let me let me dial back here. We've got an we've got a question here in the chat from Poils One. Got here late. Any opinion on the idea of retail trading will lead to a pullback of 10 to 20% in the market? Would dividend stocks be a safe haven in an overinflated market? Dan, are you sure you have an opinion on that? Yeah, I, 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 generally speaking, dividend paying stocks are defensive stocks. Um, that, you know, because you had a choice between a dividend paying stock and non-dividend paying stock, and both of them are going to get a 20% hit when the market goes down, at least with the dividend paying stock, you continue to collect the dividend every quarter. So they do provide some sense of protection. I doubt at this point, well, first of all, let me say, I think a 20% correction is around the corner every single day in the market. I think it's virtually non-predictable and it could happen at any time. So I'm, I'm not saying that's not going to happen, but what I'm going to say is at this point, I doubt that the retail investors at some place like Robinhood have enough influence or power or volume in the marketplace to make that kind of difference. Yeah. Matt, what do you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, absolutely. Dividends are defensive. I mean, there are some, industries which dividends could be cut the smaller oil producers for example if we uh, oil's up now quite a bit uh if we go into a recession it's not going to hurt exxon but some of the smaller oil companies the price of oil falls they may have a good dividend now their dividend could be cut so that would could be harmful Uh, their future revenues could be cut but in general dividend paying stocks if it's a solid dividend they're going to protect you yeah. Uh, it's always going to be that way. And it's and it's also true that 
the smaller company stocks, the more innovative stocks, the more, the, the, more, um, the newer the stock or the newer the company, the, the more it's more likely that they will not pay dividends, number one, because they're reinvesting all the money they make in growing the company. Right. So they're going to probably have higher volatility as well. So they're the ones that, so when you hear this, you know, somebody's doubled their money overnight kind of thing, that's really not any protection at all for what happens next. Yeah. Because the one that went up double is also the one that's liable to fall by half or three fourths when just because the ups and downs are both. Yeah. Uh, Eastland says, I see a 20% correction will happen. Stocks are very overvalued and possibly being propped up with stock purchases and legal accounting tricks to delay financial hits. How, how, how accurate is that assessment, do you think? Well, I, I, wouldn't, I think if you look at everything, including the amount of new money that is being created in the world, it's, there's some argument that maybe that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind, there's a lot of money being put into the system that wasn't there a few years ago. Yeah. And that a lot of that ends up in the market. So, Matt, I hope that's not a text message from somebody saying, shut up, Matt, don't say anything. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. yeah sorry. <laughs> don't give sorry. away our secrets. Usually I get like two messages a day. So. Uh, uh, Poils one says, would midstream oil stocks like BPMP offer some protection with a 10% dividend, but midstream instead of bid... Uh, instead of BP itself. Well, BP's probably got a very solid dividend as yeah. does Exxon. And probably if the oil price of oil comes down, it's not going to hurt them. Last quarter, the last quarter of last year, Exxon had its first loss in many, many years. They lost $2 billion in one quarter. Or no, I'm sorry, they lost, well, they lost a fortune. I can't remember, but it's their first loss in a long, long time. No. And uh, they made it all, I think they may have taken a one time. Do you remember how much they lost? Did they lose two billion or twenty billion? What's yeah, eighteen billion difference? What's that's nothing. It's, it's a big so, number, but uh, with Exxon, they're all. Then they made million. they made a fortune last quarter. They, I assume I haven't seen this quarter's last quarter. Uh, they made the fortune the first quarter. Uh, I mean, but their dividend yeah. is you can buy it now. It's probably five or six percent dividend, yeah. I think. And, Part of the problem, I think, with, with investing, especially, I, I've actually written on the, the challenges of investing when you're smart, because uh, you figure out things that aren't so, uh, they just seem right. And so much of investing is counterintuitive. I mean, you look at something and you say, gosh, that's had you know, record returns for 10 straight quarters. Mm -hmm. In your gut, that feels like somehow it makes it safer for the next three or four quarters. Yeah. But mm -hmm. that's not really true. That's not borne out by the numbers. It's just what your gut tells you. And that's why even smart people often benefit from having an advisor. Not because the advisor is smarter or knows more, but at least the advisor can say, hey, let's let's take that apart. Let's think about it a little bit. Let's let's really look at the numbers instead of just going with what your gut says because yeah. That's a dangerous thing. Yeah. It's really easy to look at the market, say it's really high. I missed out. It's going to have to go back down. And that's another thing that happens a lot. And it's just the yeah. reality of it is, there's just look at the amount of money in the world and you say, wow, there's a lot of money in the world. It's more than there was right or wrong. 
Well, and and here's one where there's not, I mean, it's going down here. AT&T, which, of course, has been in the news because of the DC, Warner Media, all of that uh, uh, thing that we've talked about. And they're down. And uh, one of the things that we talked about early on was the fact that AT&T was trying to divest themselves of various different things. And here's this one here. Uh, that the SEC has said that uh, uh, this uh, Ackman guy, this, uh, uh, what was his name? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, uh, Larry Ackman? Bill, a- Bill Ackman. Bill Ackman. Uh, talking about the fact that the SEC has not allowed him to buy uh, that piece of universal music that he wanted to get. And of course, that's, the, that's partly owned by AT&T. And we've seen some other uh, some other things, uh, AT and T trying to sell off various different pieces and parts, and you know, twenty eight twenty eight dollars here. Well, I don't. Kind of, well, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, what's kind of interesting about that article is he issued a SPAC with the intention of buying a piece of AT and T. Yeah. And now he. Uh, Sorry, so, uh, Matt. Really, we don't want you giving away our secrets. I had it. I thought I had it shut off. So uh, I, I intentionally I did shut it off. Right. I was wrong. Uh, and then then they so you buy a spac thinking they're going to go out and buy this, but with a spac, it's a special special purpose acquisition company. Yeah, they're kind of free to do whatever they want. You may think you're buying a car company, but they may get do finish the offering and say, well, we're going to buy something else. We're going to. Uh, because we change our mind, <laughs> so you, so that and that yes. could in theory happen with a SPAC, and that's sort of what happened with that one. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what they're going to end up doing. I assume they're going to try and go down that road. Well, yeah. and, and back you're in buying, you're, you're buying his management. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you're hoping they're going to do it. Well, and we've got uh, we've got this piece here where uh, AT and T and Warner Media selling off their Playdemic Mobile Game Studio. This was last month. Uh, so well, I say last month. This was June twenty third. So because you know, I forget we're in August already. Um, so that's that's gone, and they finally have uh, gotten rid of their Direct TV. They finished spinning that out. So it really does feel like AT and T is getting out completely at some point because you know we've got. The guys over at uh, DC Comics, for example, talking about, you know, they don't feel like they're in any kind of danger of, of that division being sold off. Jim Lee coming out saying, well, everything depends on what we publish because it's all based on what we publish. Um, kind of kind of ignoring the fact that you've already got 60 some odd years, 80, 80 years of material to draw from. You don't need to create an, another brand new story ever again in order to do derivative works. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it is AT&T because we've talked about this before is AT&T getting out completely of the, of the entertainment business. Do you think? I don't really have an opinion on it. Dan, do you? No, I just think that you know um, when you're a, when you run a conglomerate, 
you know, part of your job is to value all the different parts all the time and decide where do I put new money and, you know, what kind of thing. But one of those pieces is I have this sitting over here and it's going to generate X number of dollars for me over the next 10 years. But then along comes somebody who says, hey, I'll give you that much for it right now. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and so part of your job is to figure out, what, you know, what's the better thing to do for the owners of this company? Uh -huh. And so I think, especially when we talk about, you know, the inflated stock market and some of those things, um, there are a lot of assets out there that are valued pretty high relative to what their revenue stream looks like. And so it may very well be any conglomerate, not just AT&T, but maybe any conglomerate may say, hey, I'd rather have the cash in hand than have to keep operating this business for the next five or 10 years. Right. Uh, so I'm not saying they're getting out of the business. I'm just saying that the environment creates a place where you're looking at what's the best thing to do with this money. And some of the mistakes have just been massive. The AOL comes to mind. That would, <laughs> I believe Time Warner paid 600. I'm not oh, sure. Yeah. I believe they lost 95% over a seven or eight year period of their purchase price. And so just whoever licked well AOL was standalone liquidation but that was brilliant with their purchase was not so yeah it's it's just being big doesn't make you smart well you've also got um oh let's see here the the deal with uh uh reese witherspoon's company uh uh, what's it called? Something Sunshine, and it's yeah. it's basically it just got sold, and they're they're coming around. Hello Sunshine being sold by uh, being sold to Blackstone, uh, and <coughs> you've got uh, David Zaslav being uh, shopped around at the different cocktail parties out in L.A., <clears throat> and it really does yeah. kind of it kind of gives you the impression that. Some of these smaller media companies, like like Witherspoon's company, being bought for way more than it's worth, in the hopes well, that it delivers what it might be worth at some point. But then you've got this whole consolidation thing again, where you know one company owns all 12 of these and this one company owns 60 more of these and it's and it's turning into there are three companies that own everything in the world yeah but you can also understand I mean, one of the, again go back to music so bob dylan sells his his book of uh, royalties okay there's bob dylan eight years old and uh they never said what the amount was but basically, it's hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. And what he's basically saying is, I would rather for my heirs to have the money up front than have it dribble in over the next 10 or 15 years. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And, 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 and it wasn't just him. It's many of the major artists out there have been selling their books. Yeah. Christine and McVie just did it. It's, it's, it's part of this content thing, Jason. That's yeah. why it's so interesting. It really is. It goes back to the entertainment business. It's it's yeah. cash in the hand. Paul McCartney. I mean, he didn't yep. sell them outright. I don't know what happened, but he doesn't own. He doesn't participate in any of the royal royalties from any of the Beatles songs. Yeah, 
Some well, Michael yeah, Michael Jackson Michael Jackson ago. owned it for the yeah. longest time. For a while. I don't know who's got it now, but yeah, that well, it reverts it reverts back to the artist after fifty years. So McCartney has actually gotten some of the music okay. back. All right, uh, and it has value. And it was one of the studios actually jumped the gun a year in advance or something and, and went ahead and let him have it. They just basically said, "Goodwill, mm. you know." You're going to get the you're going to get them back in a year anyway, so we'll go ahead and have it. But I mean, it's just part of the game, though. Mm -hmm. Now they're his now to sell, and it wouldn't surprise me if he didn't keep it that back because that's great. Yeah, that's it's great. They would do that. Well, oh, yeah. maybe money, but money can't buy him love. So <laughs> <laughs> I just take a tiny little sliver of Paul McCartney's royalty book. Right? Yeah. Would, yeah. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> I think it's book sold for over traded for over a billion at some point. See, I've got yeah. a I've got a book that I published, and it's funny. Mindy and I were just talking about this the other day. I've sold fifteen copies of it, or you're some yeah. somewhere thereabouts. <clears throat> and when I get a royalty check from Amazon, yes, you know, here you go. Here's your twelve cents. You know, I'm like this isn't this isn't working out exactly the way I thought it would. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see how all of that shakes out in terms of who owns what, where are the benefits, how do you structure it in your contract, you know, like we were talking about with Johansson, how do you structure it in your contract to where you actually make money in all of this Hollywood math where nothing makes a profit ever oh, yeah. so uh poils one says i own one of those copies i've given you two cents yes the hero at the end of his robes thank you for that i i appreciate that we i, I somebody bought my book and he's in the chat how, how do you that's that's very strange huh yeah we we it does everything comes full circle i guess so i don't know it's one of those things so um yeah, that's 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 rather gratifying. <laughs> so anyway, okay, so um, so we're near the end of the hour. Uh, why don't you guys talk about how people can find you both? Um, I I brought you on and introduced you by name, but I didn't say what y'all did. So I'll leave it to you guys and uh, let people know how they how they find you, how they how they connect with you, and then. Stuff. Well, I'm Matthew Stevens. A uh, number of you might know me, but uh, I'm not really findable and. I'm registered and I don't, I really can't con be advertising. So I really can't talk too much about <laughs> who I am, but, uh, but I invest and I'm registered. With a we, couple need, of we need to work on that, Matt. So yeah. Yeah. yeah I, might, I might talk to them and <laughs> I don't think I say anything that would get me in trouble. So, well, and we've got the disclaimer that we put up that says, you know, we're just talking here. We're not, we're not telling people what to do. So, well, advertising yeah. is a little more. Yeah. So. They just liberalized the uh, advertising rules for investment advisors, which is a really good thing. Um, my name again is Dan Danford. Um, I, I started a company in St. Joseph in Kansas City. It's called Family Investment Center. Um, purely uh, investment management, it's discretionary investment management. I do have two or three books on Amazon. If you want to go look me up there, you can, uh, you can order them. And like Jason says, I'll make a nickel with you. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
All right. Well, Dan, Matt, thanks very much for being here today to talk about this stuff. Uh, the normal schedule on this is first Monday of the month. The last couple of times we haven't managed to do that. Uh, but we'll try to get back to that here uh, the next time we do this. In the meantime, we'll keep an eye out on all the movers and shakers making money out in Hollywood. And uh, we'll see what else there is to discuss. And uh, with that, we will head out. I want to thank everybody for being here. Those of you who are in the chat, thanks very much for your comments. Uh, don't forget, we do broadcast not only to YouTube, but also to Odyssey. And we'd like you to check that out as well. And uh, if you're brand new to the channel and you haven't subscribed yet, we do invite you to do that and have your notifications on so you know when we put new material out, which is pretty much every day almost. Uh, we've got seven shows in production here at Sci-Fi for Me. There is something for everyone. So check all of those things out. Tonight we've got a brand new H2O, but I'm not sure what it is that we're going to be talking about. So that's coming up tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. We hope you join us for that discussion as well. And then we'll be back here tomorrow for more live from the bunker. Remember a couple of things here. What was it that I was going to say? Because I, I had one this morning that I was going to that I was going to share. Now I can't remember what it was. So I'll have to write it down and share it tomorrow. So I'll do that. In the meantime, there are four lights. <laughs> this has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.